Tonight we're just going to uh, take as our text the shortest verse in the New Testament. If you take in the, in the Greek, it's the shortest verse in the New Testament. It's just two words. Rejoice evermore. Rejoice evermore. We've been studying together through 1 Thessalonians and uh, we're in chapter 5. And here we've been looking at the theme of living as a child of the light. Living as a child of the light. The scripture says there in 1 Thessalonians 5 that we don't walk in darkness because we have the light of Jesus Christ. And because we have the light of Christ, we can live as a child of the light. You know, clearly there's a big contrast or should be a big contrast between what a child of the light looks like and a child of darkness looks like. And it's in this chapter that we have these two contrasting lifestyles put up one against another. And we've looked at this quite a bit. But as we get towards the end of this chapter, we're going to look at a series of descriptions of the right kind of attitude that a child of the light should have. And I think it's very fitting that the first attitude that he addresses is that attitude of joy. He says very simply, rejoice evermore. I think we would all agree that it is true that true joy cannot be found in our circumstances. There may be some circumstances in which you find joy, but true joy cannot be found in your circumstances because your circumstances change. And joy is something we are supposed to have as a believer all the time. Rejoice evermore. True joy can only be found in your relationship with Christ. God wants His children to be joyful and He gives us every reason to be. And God reminds us over and over to be joyful. In fact, He's not giving us the option to be joyful. Rather, as you study His Word, it is a command that we are to be joyful. One Commentator A.J. Mason, he said it this way, The Christian who remains in sadness really breaks a commandment. In some direction or other, he mistrusts God, His power, providence, or His forgiveness. So as we look at this theme together tonight, we're going to look at some of Paul's other writings as well because this theme of rejoicing is found in many places throughout Scripture. Many people would think of the book of Philippians as a book that deals with joy. And so we're going to look at a number of passages there. Paul says in Philippians 3.1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is Safe. He says a little bit later in the book in Philippians 4 and verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Clearly this was a very important theme because he wrote this to the church at Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 5, and he also wrote it to the church in Philippi. And I think it would be safe to say because of the inspiration of Scripture that God wants us to be joyful, to rejoice in the Lord. So how do we or why should we rejoice? Well, Paul gives us a number of reasons in the book of Philippians. Look at chapter 2 with me. 
I think the first reason we can see to be rejoice is we can rejoice evermore because of the gift of the gospel. He says in verse 1 of chapter 2 of Philippians, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. He gives us this whole description how we are to treat one another. And he says, if we do this in the right way, we will fulfill his joy. Paul says, fulfill ye my joy by doing these things. And then he gives the reason why we can live this life. Verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but I like to know the reason why we do things. I like to know why things are the way that they are. And the scripture tells us very clearly we are to rejoice because of what Christ has done for us, especially in the gift of the gospel. Look at verse 6, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. We see in the gift of the gospel that Christ lived the perfect life for us. He lived the life that we could not live. He gave us the perfect example of a holy life. He, the Bible says he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Joy comes in our relationship with God through the work of Jesus Christ, in the work of the gospel, through the example that Christ gave for us in his perfect life, but also in the fact that then not only did he live a perfect life, then he died in our place. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. You're in Philippians 2, look at verse 8. It says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath given him a uh, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We can rejoice evermore because of the gift of the gospel. But that would tell me this, that those who have received the gift of the gospel, receive the gift of eternal life. They can have joy, true joy, but those who have not received the gift of the gospel cannot have true joy because it is only in and through the gospel that we are able to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And as we sang just a moment ago, it is through Jesus Christ that we are on the winning Side. We can rejoice evermore because of the gift of the gospel, that Christ lived the perfect life, that he died in our place. But if we continue on in the passage, we see that Christ is now preparing a home for us in heaven. Look at Philippians chapter 3 and verses 20 and 21. He says, for our conversation or the life that we're living, it is in heaven 
from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body. Aren't you looking forward to that? No more aches, no more pains, no more suffering, no more sickness. In just a few moments, we're going to pray together. And some of those prayer requests are going to be for those who are sick and hurting in our church family and those around us. You know, one day there is coming when we will be with the Lord in heaven, in the home that He's preparing for us there where we will no longer have those aches, no longer have those pains, no longer have those struggles, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned, notice this, like unto His glorious body. What a wonderful day that will be, according to the working whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. Well, based on that scripture, I would say, most likely when we get to heaven someday, not only will our body not have any aches or pains, it will not grow old. We might even be able to walk through walls like Jesus did. We may be able to do those things that only He could do in His physical body after He rose again. You know, walking through the walls, flying, all that kind of stuff sounds exciting. But I think the greatest thing of all is going to be with our Savior because He is the true giver of joy. As Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, you can find great joy in the gift of the gospel. You can rejoice evermore because of what Christ has done for you and because of the truth that Christ will never change. Then if your hope is in Him, you can have true joy. But I think not only do we rejoice evermore because of the work of the gospel in us to save us, the gift of the gospel, we can also rejoice, and Paul gives us this example, because of the progress of the gospel, because it's going forth, because it's continuing to accomplish its work. Let me give you a few more passages to look at. We can rejoice in the spreading of the gospel. Paul says in Philippians 1, in verse 12, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened to me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I, might set, I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And listen to what he says. And therein do I rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. We can and we should rejoice in the spread of the gospel. Does it bring you joy when you hear that the gospel is being spread to others? I know it does for me. I get excited when I get a text from a church member, Pastor, I got to share the gospel with a neighbor. I got to share the gospel with a coworker. I got to share the gospel with a family member. I got to share the gospel in the community. I got to hand out an invitation to somebody to church where we hope that they will hear the gospel. I rejoice in that, and I think every believer should. Paul said, I rejoice even if some 
do the work that they do to try to hurt me. He said, as long as the gospel goes forth, I'm rejoicing. He said, I'm rejoicing even in my prison cell, even in my bonds, he calls them. He's locked up, he's in prison, and he's still able to rejoice. It's interesting, isn't it? Because in this letter to, Philippian, to the church at Philippi, Paul's writing to a church that most likely had a particular member in that church, and we only know him as the Philippian jailer. Because when Paul was in this city, he was imprisoned for preaching the gospel. Well, there was a, there was a young woman there who had an evil spirit, and he cast the evil spirit out of her. And because he did that, the men who owned her and used her like a slave took and made accusations against Paul. And so they grabbed him and they threw him in the prison. And while he was in prison, what did he do? He and Silas began to sing praises to the Lord. And as they sang praises to the Lord, the Bible says that there was a there was an earthquake that came and the prison bars were open and their chains fell off. And remember what the Philippian jailer tried to do? He tried to kill himself because he was afraid that the prisoners had escaped. And Paul said, don't do yourself any harm. We're all here. And the jailer took Paul and Silas back to his house and he bathed them, washed off their wounds. And while they were there, the Philippian jailer and all of his house trusted Christ as their Savior. So I always think it's really interesting that Paul then writes this letter about joy to the people who had had firsthand experience about Paul's ability to rejoice even in difficult circumstances. Remember what we said at the beginning? True joy doesn't come in our circumstances. It comes in the Lord, rejoicing in the spreading of the gospel. I told somebody today, I think the Lord was giving me more opportunities to test me and see if I could have joy in the Lord and not try to find joy in my circumstances this week. And it was just the little stuff. Some of you are going through some big stuff. This was just the little stuff. The washing machine went out this week. Oh man, it's rough. Five kids, you know, we generate a lot of laundry around our house. If that machine's not running every day, then we are getting behind. We are having a hard time and the washing machine goes out and you think, oh, Maybe it's the thing, so I open it up and clean the drain out and clean the filter and all this stuff, thinking that'll fix it. Nope, we got to have somebody come out and fix the machine. Yesterday, we had a full day at work, went to the kids' football game, then went to the cousins' baseball game, and then I get home ready to take a shower, and I turn the handle, and all I heard was the crackling and grinding of the, of the handle, and it just stopped working, and so I had no water coming out of my shower last night. I know I'm saying this with a plumber in the room tonight, and he, he sat up and listened really carefully. <laughs> You'll be proud of me, Jeremiah. I went online, and I ordered the, the faucet insert, and I pulled the whole thing apart. And this morning, I had to wait all the way till this morning to get a shower, but I got the part, and I put the new piece in, and that thing turned as smooth as butter. And I did take a shower today, so I didn't have to call our plumber. I tried to do my own plumber, but it was just those little things you think, ah, I'm frustrated. And then you're reminded, wait a minute, I'm supposed to preach rejoice evermore tomorrow night. Uh, how am I going to do that if I'm over here grumping and slamming around my house? No, I need to rejoice in the Lord, and I can rejoice, not in my circumstances sometimes, but I can rejoice in the Lord. I can rejoice in the spread of the gospel. I think another way that we can rejoice in the work of the gospel is rejoicing in the transformational power of the gospel. 
Book of Paul says at the end of chapter 1 in verse 25, he says, and having, I'm in Philippians, Philippians 1.25, having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. He's talking about their continued growth in the Lord. Paul found great joy in seeing the gospel continue to change people's lives and transform them. I don't know about you, but I find great joy in that. When I see people responding to the truth that Jesus Christ loves them and because of that truth they begin to take the word of God and listen to it and trust it and obey it and it begins to change their life and it changes their priorities and it changes what they do and I, I just sit back and I think what a great God we serve and what great joy there is in seeing God transform people through the power of the gospel. So as we're rejoicing in the progress of the gospel, we rejoice as it's spread. We rejoice as it transforms. And I think another way we can see this in Philippians 2, verse 17 and 18, we can even rejoice in the sacrifice of the gospel. Paul said this, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. What an interesting statement that he said there is great joy in the sacrifice that some go through for the sake of the gospel. We have our missions conference coming up here in January and I'm really looking forward to it. We have our missionaries, the Pridgens are going to be with us from Uganda. We have a mission, well he, he's helping to further mission work and we've helped support this work. His name's Kevin Folger. He was a pastor for a number of years. Now he's involved in mission work over in Asia. He's helping to coordinate from the states and sending funds and materials. In fact, he just sent me a picture the other day. They were, they're packaging up an entire container load of Bibles to send over to various countries in Asia to share the gospel with folks there. And uh, I'm really looking forward to this time. But one of the things uh, we are planning in preparation for our missions conference. We've ordered several different missionary biographies that we want to make available to you. And when we do this, and we'll have a little bookstore set up. We just sell them for what we pay for them. So we're not making money on this, but we just want to be able to put good things in your hands. And we got a, uh, a missionary biography of a lady. Maybe you've heard of her. her name was Gladys Aylward. Anybody ever heard of Gladys Aylward? She was a missionary in China many years ago and in fact through her work to share the gospel many people trusted Christ and followed him but she's actually known because they had a custom back in those days in China of binding the young girls feet and so they would bind them up with with strips of cloth really tight because it was seen they thought it to be beautiful to have really small feet and by binding the feet they would cross the toes and it was really painful and and uh, really would mess up a woman's ability to walk for the rest of her life, but that was considered beautiful at the time. And through her work in the gospel, and many people who trusted Christ, she began to have great influence among various leaders there in China. And she is credited with helping to see even that custom of foot binding taken away in China. Now, we would say the soul of a person is much more worth more than a foot, but still, isn't it amazing how the power of the gospel transforms lives through those who are willing to sacrifice for the case of the God, for the work of the gospel, and we find great joy. We can rejoice in the sacrifice of the gospel. 
In Philippians 2, 28 and 29, Paul reminds us to rejoice with those who minister the gospel. Rejoice with the ministers of the gospel. He says in Philippians 2, 28, I sent him therefore the more carefully, so he's talking about the guy that he sent with the letter, that when ye see him again, ye may, be re ye may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation. If you have your Bible, open to Philippians 2. Go back just a few verses. Verse number 25, Paul says, I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. This is the guy he's talking about sending. My brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger... And he that ministered to my wants. So this was a guy, Epaphroditus, who was traveling with Paul. He had ministered to Paul. Probably while Paul's in prison, Epaphroditus was bringing him food, bringing him things that he needed. And he says in verse 26, For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness. Why? Because that ye had heard that he had been sick. So as Epaphroditus is busy taking care of Paul, what happened to Epaphroditus? He got sick. Well, that doesn't seem like much reason to rejoice, does it? And because he was sick, he couldn't minister to Paul very well, and he clearly wasn't able to minister to the Philippians very well. Have you ever felt like that? You get in a physical situation and say, what is God doing? I can't do anything that I should be doing or that I want to be doing. Well, this was Epaphroditus. And it says he longed after you all, uh, verse 27, for indeed he was sick nigh unto death. He was very sick, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And then we read verse 28 and 29 already. Therefore, I sent him therefore the more carefully, when ye see him again, ye may rejoice that I may be the less sorrowful. Where did their joy come from? Yes, in seeing their friend Epaphroditus. But why were they rejoicing in seeing Epaphroditus, because Epaphroditus had been one who had ministered the gospel to them. They found great joy in fellowshipping with this person who administered the gospel to them. We can rejoice with the ministers of the gospel. Then Paul gives another reason in chapter 4 of Philippians why we can rejoice evermore. We can rejoice in giving giving to spread the gospel. He's talking about financial giving here. Look at verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, Philippians 4.10, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound, to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. In other words, they ministered, they helped Paul in his time of need. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. This church in Philippi was known for their giving spirit. And he said, even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again to my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all 
and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing unto the Lord. Paul said, I rejoiced in the Lord because of your gifts to me. And he says, it wasn't because I needed the gift, but I rejoiced because there's fruit now that's going to abound to your account. For your faithfulness to the Lord, God will reward you. Rejoice evermore. That means in the ups and downs, when your shower works and it doesn't work, you can still rejoice. When your washing machine works and it doesn't work, you can rejoice. When the traffic is heavy and the traffic is light, you can rejoice because our joy is not found in our circumstances. I can rejoice when I'm sick. I can rejoice when I'm healthy because my joy isn't found in my health or shouldn't be found in my health. My joy must be found in the Lord. No matter what our circumstances, we can find joy in what God is doing to advance His purposes in the world. Think about it. If you're on the winning side, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're part of His family, you're part of His team, if you will, and you look around and you see God advancing His work around the world, there's a lot to rejoice in. It's kind of like the player on the team who maybe is playing really hard, but he's not having much success in his area of the field, but he looks over and he sees one of his teammates scoring a goal. Does he rejoice? Yes. Did he score the goal? No, but his team did. It's like the player who maybe even is sitting on the bench because he's got an injured leg and he's not in the game. And he's over there, he's hurting physically, but he's still rejoicing when his team is winning the game. Why? Because, yeah, he himself is dealing with this bad circumstance, but there's great joy because he is on the winning side. And for the Christian, our joy can't be found in our circumstance, the position that we find ourselves in, the pain that we're going through, the, the frustration that we're dealing with, the circumstances that surround us. Rather, our joy must be found in the Lord. If we pursue joy in our circumstances, we are guaranteed a life full of disappointment. We are. But when we seek joy in Christ and what He has done for us, in the progress of the gospel, we can experience unspeakable and unshakable joy. So let me give you two practical thoughts about continuing to find joy and rejoicing evermore. These are super simple. The first one is this. We need to constantly be filling our mind with the Word of God. Read it memorize it, meditate upon it, and study it because there's lots and lots and lots of distractions and lots of information flying around in the world. So fill your mind with the words of your Savior instead of all the words of everybody else out there in the world. And then a second way. So as you're reminding yourself of the goodness of God and His faithfulness and His promises and all those things, that's one way to find joy. A second way is this. Listen and pay attention to what God is doing in this world, both locally and globally. What's He doing? That's why I like to collect testimonies. I like to hear what God is doing in your life. I like to hear what God is doing in our missionaries' lives. I like to hear and share the goodness of God. 
I've shared this with our church here before, but maybe you were not here when I did this and talked about how a number of years ago, God really challenged me to look around every day and to find something to rejoice in the Lord about. And I called it my 10-second testimony. So I had, had to think of something that maybe I could only think of something that would be I could share in 10 seconds. There wasn't maybe a lot of things, but something to be reminded of the goodness of God. This morning, as I was thankful that God, even though I, He didn't let me have a shower last night, He was still faithful to take care of me and provide for my family. You say, well, that's not a big thing. It is a big thing, though, when you think about all that God is doing to be faithful to us. As we close and get ready to go to prayer tonight, I want to share with you a couple of missionary letters of things that God is doing in some of our missionaries' lives as well. And then I would encourage you as you think about how to rejoice evermore in your life that, yes, you fill yourself with the Word of God, with the truths of your Savior, but also be willing to listen to what God is doing in other places. Because your circumstance may be such that you feel like God has you on pause. He has you on hold or He has you even on the sideline, you may feel like. But if you are faithful to do what God gives you to do, then you are able to have joy. I was talking with a friend today, and he was sharing about some struggles that he was going through personally. And he said, sometimes you feel like you're not having very much impact for the Lord. And I said, well, that's because we measure impact the way humans measure impact, in dollars, numbers, all kinds of things. And I said, but every time... As I read the scripture, I see that God measures impact in line with faithfulness. He says, moreover, it's required amongst doers that a man be found faithful. We measure impact by how big we can build something from a human perspective or how many people want to listen to us or follow us or if we wrote a book, how many people bought our book or all those kind of things. God measures impact by faithfulness being faithful to what He has given us to do. Think of it in relation to that sports team again. Let's say it's a soccer field. You have 11 men on your team. It's very possible that only one or two or three ever score a goal. But every other person on that team is important, even those that never cross the middle line. Every person is important for that team to be successful. And God wants us to be faithful.